All right, joining me now, he is a colleague and a friend and a salary cap expert here at PFF. It is Brad Spielberger. Brad, welcome back to the show. You are now officially the first ever repeat guest on the Ari Mero show. So congratulations. That's a huge, huge honor. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, good, good to be back. Oh, for sure. So we're, we're here like in this, you know, dead period of the offseason. It's probably the lone month of the year where there isn't that much going on. But, you know, this is also the time where all these executives and coaches, for the most part, finally get a little bit of vacation. They're hoping that their phone doesn't ring with anything crazy going on with their team. So what I wanted to do was kind of rank the top 16 GMs in the NFL. And we'll each go one by one. And I really wanted to do this one because I've always been someone who likes to learn about GMs and the amount of elements it takes to be a successful one. And it's far more complex than I think the average fan would think. It's not like, you know, playing Madden and just, you know, making a roster. The GM, you know, he, he manages personnel. There's the cap. There's the pro department, the college department. They even, you know, they have to do the training room, video equipment, security, analytics. There's so many things that goes into being a good GM. We didn't even mention the coach and the owner working with agents. There's so much that goes on. And there are a handful that are really good at it. There's some that we believe are up and coming, and there are some that have had some struggles. So I wanted to rank one to 16. We are not going to include any new GM. So that's going to take out five people. Ryan Poles in Chicago is out. Joe Shane in New York. Quasi Dofamence in Minnesota. Dave Ziegler with the Raiders. And then the recently hired Omar Khan in Pittsburgh. So that takes out five teams. Before we get started here, though, I want to ask you one thing about Omar Khan who just got hired in Pittsburgh, replaces Kevin Colbert. His background is on the business side. He's not necessarily on the scouting side. Have you ever wondered why more teams don't look for GM candidates that come from that side of the building instead of the, the traditional way, which is the scouting side, the guy who's a scout by trade? Why don't more teams go to, for the, the cap guy, the money guy, the contract guy? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's a fair question. I will say, you know, he does fancy himself as, as someone who can evaluate talent. Obviously his focus has been on the contracts. Like you said, also just the actual business of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, you know, I think you mentioned all those responsibilities at the end of the day, you're really the CEO of, of an organization, right? It depends on your, your relationship with the owner, but you're overseeing everything. And so you'd imagine if you could get a really, really good talent evaluator in place as your you know, director of scouting or something like that, that would be the best setup. I guess the answer would be kind of like how we talk about with coaches, how if you have that great offensive coordinator, you don't want to let him get poached by someone else. Maybe that's the thinking as well as if you don't make your top scout, your GM, someone else is going to do that. Right. Absolutely. So Khan is one of the few that really have that business element. I mean, Harry Roseman also has that. And, and we've seen him be so savvy in these negotiations because he has that background and he's been phenomenal at it. Now, specifically about Khan, I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people just about him and it feels like everybody loves the guy. He's been there for 20 years. As we said, he does the contracts there. Now he is the new GM in Pittsburgh. Now, before we get started, there are three teams who don't necessarily have an official GM. We should probably mention that as well. The Patriots, Bill Belichick is the GM there. People should know that by now. Then the Cowboys and Bengals have more of an owner-centric model, but Duke Tobin runs the personnel department for Cincinnati. And then in Dallas, you have Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, and this guy named Will McClay, who does mostly he has a major role in the draft, but he also has a lot of say there in Dallas. But they don't really have somebody with an official GM title, but they are all included here as well. So 
let's get started here. Number one, Brad, you're the guest and um, kick us off over here. Yeah. So, you know, another key to this is that it, you have to look at, you know, you can't fall in love with the window or, or recency bias about certain things. So, you know, I'm going to go with Bill Belichick. And I know that my, people might think that's kind of a going with a name, just sticking with, you know, and it's kind of the opposite because I think the last five years or so have they, they haven't drafted particularly well. Granted, they were losing first round picks for, you know, these investigations and whatnot and, and picking 30th or later seemingly every season, which tends to not help. But the draft has some randomness to it. It is hard to consistently be good in the draft. And I think the thing with him is just he understands, I think, better than anyone else, is that his roster construction, in my opinion, is always about identifying trends and getting ahead of them where you want to beat the 31 other teams. You don't want to just have a better version of your prior year roster. I mean, he wants to – there's a famous quote. I say this a lot, but he ran the 3-4 defense about 20 years ago when no one ran it. And then he switched to the 4-3, and he was asked, why did you switch? He goes, well, now 18 to 20 teams are running a 3-4, so it's easier to find 4-3 defensive ends than it is to find nose tackles and outside linebackers. Like, a very simplistic answer that actually, I think, has a lot of nuance to it. So I still think he's the best of the best. He, he was definitely in my, in my top three over here. So we're on the same page there. What I wanted to ask you about Bill, because it's always fascinating because it feels like whatever he has down on his board is just different than everybody else. And we saw our probably best this year. Do you, how do you explain what happened against this off season, especially with their draft where the consensus board and the Patriots board, it just looks like it's night and day. How does one explain what the Patriots see compared to all the other 31 teams. Yeah, and he has been much more aggressive in recent years, been trading up a lot. Like you said, been taking players like a Cole Strange in the first round that maybe doesn't have the potential of some of the other players, but he maybe views as a guy he could start earlier. And so maybe that's what he's thinking, which in a general sense is probably not a philosophy I would promote. But yeah, you know, you do want to stick to the consensus for the most part. Um, you go back and look at the data historically. Odds are, if you're near that consensus, that player is going to be a better player. I mean, the Raiders famously ignored it every single year, and, and now they have a new, you know, regime for a reason. So, you know, I think that move and trading up for Tyquan Thornton, the Baylor wide receiver, both not really, you know, moves that a lot of teams, teams saw coming. Excuse me, but... Um, yeah, maybe not a great sign, but at the end of the day, you know, I think if you look at his entire body of work, he has just been ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I think one thing from last year when they were spending so much money for agency, I think the Patriots realized that a lot of teams are not going to be spending so much. So we'll go all in and spend on these guys. And we're not actually um, overspending in a way compared to what it would would what it would have been in recent years um excuse me so um bill is always trying to be a little bit different and it's obviously worked for so many years there in new england let me um my turn here let me go with we'll stick in the afc east i'm gonna go with buffalo bills gm brandon bean and really there's no gm that i've enjoyed watching their rebuild more than the buffalo bills and i want to just go back to 2017 when he got there in his first year and if you recall they traded so many veteran players just to get draft picks. If I recall correctly, there was Sammy Watkins for a second. Ronald Darby was traded for a third. And I think Marcel Darius was involved as well as a fifth or a sixth round pick. And then they still somehow made the playoffs that year, that year, which was the funnier part. But they took on a lot of dead money by moving on from all these veterans to add draft capital. <clears throat> and then the offseason came. And that was the crucial part about it, the offseason. They traded Tyrod Taylor to Cleveland for a third round pick. And then the big move, which people kind of forget, and it played a big role to getting Josh Allen, they traded their left tackle, Cordy Glenn, to move from 22 to 12, I believe, 
with the Cincinnati Bengals to move up nine spots. And that allowed them to get in position to get a quarterback, which ultimately was Josh Allen, which they traded up to get to number seven. That was the guy that they covered the entire time. They got Josh Allen and the rest is kind of history. But from there, it's kind of been a steady dose of draft, develop, and sprinkle in for agents wherever we, we feel like we have holes. They obviously had the Stephon Diggs trade. That was a big home run. Cole Beasley was a free agent. John Brown was a free agent. Mitch Morse at center was a free agent. But they never like overspent on anybody until they felt like this off, past offseason where they had to get like a, a Von Miller. But it felt like they did this the right way. And like in the draft, Gabriel Davis was a draft pick. Um, Dawson Knox was a draft pick. The other thing that I like about Brandon Bean, you could probably expand on this more, is his ability to know where the market is going, right? Um, when it comes to Tredavious White, they did that extension before Jalen Ramsey and Marlon Humphrey. When they did the extension for their left tackle, Deion Dawkins, that was before Ronnie Stanley. The Josh Allen extension after year three. They locked him in for now eight years. It's already looking like a bargain. It's going to be a super bargain in a couple of years from now. So, you know, it, it's just, it's been so fun to watch. It feels like they should be like a college course in how they did this in so short and how they've built this team to have so much success and so much future success. Obviously getting the quarterback was the big part, but how they maneuvered around everything to make it happen. It's been so fun to watch. And obviously they're going to be a really good team for many, many years now. Yeah, just to touch on it really quick. I mean, that I think if you said identify one indicator that you say is why you think a GM is good at their job, it's, it's getting those deals done early. There are teams that are willing to set a market and there are teams that just want to sit back, let everyone else get paid and then kind of sign their guys in this new environment. And he did not do that. All the guys you mentioned, Matt Milano, a linebacker kind of got right. out ahead of some of those big deals. Um, even Daryl Williams, who they did cut this offseason, but a, a good deal for him at the time, at least compared to the market, um, some injuries there. But yes, that is, in my opinion, kind of the one thing if you wanted to pick out and say, why do you think this guy's good? Because he knows value. He understands how to get deals done. And all those deals, a lot of those deals have aged very well already. No, absolutely. So like what Buffalo has done, I remember this is a team that was bad for so many years and they, they even hired like a defensive coach, which was the model that was going away at the time. They hired Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott helped hire Brandon Bean. Those two have worked so well together. Um, I think their defensive coordinator hire at the time was Leslie Frazier. He's still there. Brian Dale was the first OC hire. He was there until this past year. So much consistency. They've built it in such a fun way. And if you watched it go from 2017 until now, it's been tremendous to watch. And as I said, it really should be a course for these future GM just to learn on how they did it there in Buffalo. All right, let's continue here. Brad with number three, who do you have on your list? Yeah, so similar reasons. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens and Eric DaCosta, who has been there, you know, inherited Ozzie Newsom, who, you know, I think make the list of some of the best GMs in the history of football, um, you know, very top of that list, but has continued that trend. Another guy that gets out early, you know, Mark Andrews at tight end now in total value, which of course is not the most important thing, but less than David Njoku in his own division in Cleveland. Um, did it with Ronnie Stanley, did it with Marlon Humphrey to a degree, um, you know, came after Jalen Ramsey, but kept the, the number below that. So, same thing. I think that they view things differently. They're obviously known as a progressive and analytical front office. And we see that informed in a lot of the moves they make. And just to go back to Belichick a little bit, those tough decisions like trading away players or letting guys walk is just as, in my opinion, impressive. And he's obviously, you know, traded Marquise Brown during this draft class to get a first round pick for him. Yes, they gave away a third, but get a first round pick for a guy entering, you know, the end of his rookie deal, probably going to get a nice deal in Arizona. It's a hard decision to make, but he's made a lot of those tough calls. Let guys like Zadarius Smith walk in free agency, who was great for the Green Bay Packers, but just knowing and trusting that you're going to draft good players, 
develop them up, and then they'll go off and sign somewhere else and get you a third or fourth round compensatory pick. And that's why they've been consistently a 500 or better football team his entire time there. No, absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, the cost has always been, he's probably far ahead when it comes to the comp pick, um, comp pick game. And he's tremendous at that. And he's so interesting because he was told, I believe in 2007, that he is going to be succeeding Ozzie Newsome. That's what the owner told him. And he had many, many offers um, or requests to at least interview for GM position. And he kept them declining. And he ended up waiting 12 years until Ozzie finally retired. And he finally got his chance. But he kept on learning from one of the best ever in Ozzie Newsome. And obviously, um, Eric has been just tremendous. They just make like the easy decision, like this draft. I mean, these guys just fall to them. And they just take them and they've um, he's also a big believer in just accumulating draft picks. I believe he's on the record of someone who wants to have nine to 12 picks every year because he believes he'll hit at least six of those or seven of those. And he has cheap talent on the roster. And eventually we keep we could keep on doing that every year. One more thing on Baltimore I wanted to ask you, because it's so interesting about Lamar Jackson and his contract right now. He's playing on, under their fifth year option right now. He's entering the fifth year. It sounds like he doesn't he doesn't have an agent. He's not really negotiating right now. How complicated is that for a general manager when you have a superstar quarterback, you don't have an extension for him right now, and obviously you want to plan your salary cap for years ahead, and this guy is not really coming to the table. How difficult is that right now for Eric? It is remarkably complicated because everything trickles down from there, right? Like the quarterback contract kind of dictates all of your other moves. They obviously spent a ton around Lamar Jackson in his early years on that rookie deal, and so now – like you said, when you're trying to benchmark, you know, how much you're going to pay him, maybe it had to do with trading away Orlando Brown, which I think already looks pretty good for them, trading away Marquise Brown, all those moves. Um, it is. It's tough. And I think also just negotiating directly with a player is very, very tough. You want him to focus on getting better on the football field and, and improving in all those ways. And then you're also, you know, kind of calling him and asking him about his contract. It, it's a difficult process. But I would trust the Baltimore Ravens more than maybe any other franchise to know how to navigate that. They have a backup plan in place in Tyler Huntley, who showed promise last year. That's the thing is they also understand the worst place to be is when you need a position or need a player. They're always making sure they're addressing things a couple of years out and having depth and all those important pieces. Yeah. So what's going on with Lamar right now? It's so odd. And again, one thing I like about Baltimore also is they rarely have any leaks out of their building. So whatever is happening there, I think they're going to try to keep it under wraps. We'll see what happens here. As um, we get closer to training camp and if Lamar, um, he's not there for OTAs, um, he said he will report for training camp, but whatever happens there with his contract, he's entering his fifth year right now. If he plays under it, <clears throat> we'll be looking at a franchise tag next year for him. Um, I really don't know what the plan is there um, for him. So we'll see what happens. Um, let's keep on going here. Number four, I'm going to go with um, Eagles GM, Harry Roseman. And it's so funny because Philly fans, you know, they're so into football and there was I'll never forget after Doug Peterson was fired, Eagles fans were kind of calling for how he's had, they wanted him out too. And I remember seeing like the live comments on, I think Jeff Lurie was doing a press conference, the live comments, they wanted Howie gone as well. And then Lurie was asked, why are you not cleaning house? Why only Doug? And his answer was that um, Howie, his front office, he's built one of the strongest front offices in the NFL and you guys are going to see eventually we're going to have GMs coming out of our front office. I remember at the time, everyone laughed at that answer. And now here we are. It's basically true. They've lost four guys this year to become assistant GMs elsewhere. Joe Douglas, Andrew Barry became GMs out of Philadelphia. So Howie, first of all, has a very strong staff. But looking at how they got out of that situation there 
when Doug was fired, they tanked that week 17 game and everything was going crazy. The Carson Wentz trade obviously was a slam dunk. Moving back with Miami last year and getting an extra one worked out perfectly. The Saints trade this year, getting A.J. Brown. And Howie, again, by the way, he comes from that business side, so he's very savvy in these negotiations, whether it's in a trade or with contracts. As I mentioned, he has a tremendous staff around him. And the Eagles just looked, went from looking like a dumpster fire after that Week 17 game to being in a very decent spot a couple years later. And they still have ammunition next year with two first-round picks once again. And, you know, Howie will tell you this. One of his biggest, I guess, pros that he has for, with him is that he has a lot of experience. He's been in Philadelphia all his life. It's one of the rare executives out there who has never moved anywhere. He's been in one city his entire career. And the fact that he's been there for so long, he believes is an advantage for him. And he just finds a way to figure it out. And now it looks like he has a really good relationship with Nick Sirianni as well. Jalen Hurts is the quarterback for now. Um, we'll see what happens next year with him. But the point is, the way they went from where they were last year to where they are now, how he flipped it just by a switch. It's been incredible to watch. And he's easily one of the better GMs in the NFL for what he's done there. People thought they could be the worst team in the NFL last year. They sneak yeah. in the playoffs, have three first round picks. Like you said, at AJ Brown. Um, yeah. I mean, again, and the Carson Wentz, you know, the, the extension and the trade and all those things, of course, is difficult, but I would say, I think what he does a good job of is towing the line between he runs it like a business. You know, all the players, of course, you know, tweet out like we know it's a business, but there still is a strong culture there. I don't get why people thought the culture left with Doug Peterson. You have guys like Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox and these veterans that want to come back, even though he does make some tough decisions. But yeah, just a one more quick note on the early contracts. Jordan Mailata's extension last offseason, yes, four years, $64 yes. million, dollars, has an argument as maybe the best value contract in the NFL one year later. Absolutely. Again, that's nothing that Howie does. And Howie also, like, he experienced sort of getting fired when Chip Kelly got in. During that, during that time, it was basically put into, like, a corner in, in, in the front office, basically didn't do anything. But he's mentioned that those years, while he was basically doing not that much there in Philadelphia, he learned a lot and eventually got that second shot in Philadelphia. Look how he's turned it around. Obviously won a Super Bowl. And now they're right back in the picture there. So um, that's my pick here. Let's keep it going. Number five, Brad, back to you. Yep, so I'll go with the reigning Super Bowl champion, Les Snead out with the Los Angeles Rams. And, and I think just at a very high level, and I've probably said this ad nauseum, but gets all this credit for his F them picks mentality and trading away the first round picks for good players. But that is an entirely cohesive process. And they have had at least eight draft picks, I think besides this year. But since 2016, when they traded the farm to move up and get Jared Goff, they have still made sure, yes, we don't have first round picks, but from rounds two through five, we're going to draft five, six, seven players. And those are going to be guys that come in, make an impact and play significant snaps. So they've kept up that philosophy the entire time. Obviously, it helps to have a guy like Aaron Donald on your defense, but I think another person that explores edges, even in the whole first round trade thing, not that you should ever be confident you're going to be picking 25th or later every year. I think with Sean McVay and that roster, they were probably fairly confident, but kind of flipping the first round pick over valuation on its head when it comes to later first round picks um, and being able to go out and acquire superstar players like a Jalen Ramsey. I just think they are, again, a team that is trying to find the next trend and trying to do something differently before everyone else catches on. Yeah, and again, they, they traded those picks. The thing that made it a little different is that they traded for premium positions. Like we talk about the Jamal Adams trade. The reason why people didn't like that trade is you're kind of doing it for a safety. For the Rams, it's a cornerback, a quarterback. I mean, these guys obviously hit, and they've been tremendous. But the whole philosophy there, I mean, I, I get the F them picks whole thing. But again, like you mentioned it, there's a thing behind it where they value those late mid to late round picks, and they hit on those picks. 
Um, one of the guys who was really responsible for that as well was Brad Holmes, who's now in Detroit. I think we'll probably talk about him as well, but he was their college director and he kind of was able, he had an eye for talent. He was one of the main people there for less need and helping him find those mid to late round picks. Cooper Cup, for example, was a third round pick and on and on. So they're definitely a team that's um, tremendous. And I think they're also another team that's very into the whole comp pick game and they've um, been very good at that as well let's keep it moving here you just mentioned the Super Bowl winning team the team that won the Super Bowl before them was Tampa Bay I'm gonna go with Jason Light and the Buccaneers I feel like some people's reaction to this will be oh he, he got Tom Brady and that made him look good and it's sort of true but Tom Brady came to Tampa because of the roster they had and Jason played a pretty big role a role there and that's where he comes to this whole picture so you look at the players he's drafted over the time that he's been there. There's Mike Evans was his first ever draft pick. But besides for that, Devin White, Chris Godwin, Bitavea, Sean Murphy Bunting, Carlton Davis, Donovan Smith, Antoine Winfield, Tristan Wirfs, Ali Marpet, who just retired, Alex Kappa, Jordan Whitehead, a lot of really good players. All those guys were there when Tom, Tom Brady walked in. Tom isn't coming if those guys aren't there. So he's also had some bad misses, which happens as a GM. There's no perfect GM. I mean, he drafted a kicker in the second round once. It's true. Um, he picked Jameis Winston, who didn't necessarily work out. But the point is, we actually spoke to him there at the Combine. And it was interesting because I brought this up to him, and it's so rare for a GM to have three head coach hires. He hired three different head coaches and he didn't have that much success with the first two. And he told us that he's grateful every single time that he had a chance to hire a third one in Bruce Arians. And of course, everything changed from there. But considering all the draft hits that he's had, I'm a bit surprised no team has even poached someone from his front office for a GM role. I think John Spitek is someone who's there who will eventually become one. But Jason has a great staff around him. He built a great team through the draft, then hit, you know, went all in with free agency with Tom Brady. And it obviously worked really well. And he's worthy of being this higher on this list. 100%. And just, you know, a quick note, because we mentioned a lot of teams that, you know, spend a ton of money. So that does help GMs when their owner is, is willing to push cap down the line and, and give a lot of bonuses. That was not the case for Jason Light's beginning of his tenure. They like to pay as you go and keep everything up front. They've obviously pivoted now with Tom Brady in the fold. But yeah, you, you have to kind of think about those factors as well. And yes, had some misses. But I think if you look at the entire body of work, he clearly has an eye for talent. Yep, and we um, while we're here talking about the Buccaneers, Dexter just made a free agent signing. Um, Akeem Hicks is coming to Tampa Bay, one-year deal worth a max of $10 million, according to um, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, who told Adam Schefter. So um, there you go. Um, that probably means Ndamukong Sue is done in Tampa Bay. But um, there you go. They are still working, even though we're in this dead portion of the offseason. So um, there you go. Another addition coming to Tampa Bay. Let's keep this moving. Brad, who do you have next? So next, I'm going to go with kind of another newer guy, but been there for a very long time, and that's Brian Gutekunst with the Green Bay Packers. I think the interesting thing for me with him is that he's been different. You know, their philosophy, they still are a draft and develop team first and foremost. They always will be, but they never really traded up in the draft much before he got there, which, you know, I've obviously spoken a lot. You shouldn't always be doing that, but traded down with this New Orleans Saints for Marcus Davenport, then moved slightly back up to go at Jair Alexander, who's now the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. Um you know, has had a lot of draft hits. Rashawn Gary is looking great now. Um, you know, willing to make that tough call on Devontae Adams, but obviously get that extra first round pick. So just, you know, doing things differently, but also maintaining status quo, going out and signing the Smith brothers in free agency, who obviously made a huge impact on their defensive line. 
I think he just has continued to show they just know how to bring the right players in, build them up, even if those guys aren't playing for a couple of years. A lot of positional versatility. I got like an Elkton Jenkins, I think is a good example there. Just They just find good football players. They bring them to a place that, frankly, not a lot of players want to be, um, especially free agents, and they just keep on winning. Yeah, but I think like the one thing everyone kind of points when it comes to Goody is the Jordan Love pick, and I get it. But how about just the Aaron Rodgers relationship going from being garbage to managing that and bringing him back? How about even like people don't talk about this, but Matt LaFleur, the hire as head coach, he was the first hire in that cycle. I'll never forget when that happened. It was like, who? The Titans offensive coordinator, the Titans, they stunk last year. What is this? Obviously, Matt has worked out tremendously. So Goody gets a lot of a lot of hate, but he's Again, he's changed the way it used to be under the late Ted Thompson. They move around the draft, like you mentioned. They've signed for agents, and they're always competitive. There's a lot of people who say, why don't they go all the way in? Um, it has changed a little bit. They've pushed a lot of money down the line. I think Brady could probably talk about that. But, like, that Aaron Rodgers contract eventually is going to hit them really hard, right? Yeah, and they have. Like you said, they, they, really, they really have pushed the envelope a lot. Obviously, they could have gone full tilt with Devontae Adams, but they have. They definitely have. But their thing, and it ties back to Jordan Love, is – they want to sustain a winning organization every single year. And I get Packers fans maybe are frustrated and say, I'd rather have one Super Bowl than five years of winning 12 plus games. But it's kind of hard to argue, you know, either side of that coin. And, and they are going to consistently be good. And so, right, we, we it, Love could have looked genius if Rodgers forced his way to Denver and Love was actually, you know, a good prospect and worked out. It's kind of hard to judge that. We've never even really seen the guy play. Um, but they are not going to catch themselves unprepared for something that happens. Absolutely. And of course, also last year, they added guys like a Rasul Douglas, Devondre Campbell, um, value signings there, and they brought them back this offseason as well in um, some more money um, on a new deal. So um, let's keep it going here. We're going to go now to um, Kansas City and Brett Veach. Um, and it's interesting because you probably have to tie in Andy Reid as well, because he's kind of heavily involved in that front office as well. But Veach, he followed Andy Reid from Philly to Kansas City. The quarterback they have obviously makes them look much better, but it's the aggressiveness to fix problems, which has been really impressive to me. Um, it was in 2019 when they lost to the Pages in the AFC Championship game. Their defense couldn't stop a nosebleed, so they went out, signed Tyron Matthew. They signed Alex Okafor. They signed Bashad Breeland. They made that big trade for Frank Clark. I know that the money and everything hasn't been great, but he was a big part of their Super Bowl winning team. Um, and the next year, I mean, the other thing about Frank Clark, if I'm, if I'm mistaken, I think he replaced D Ford, but they, they didn't pay him, which was the smart thing to do because he had some injuries and they paid him. He obviously helped out with their Super Bowl run, like I mentioned, but how about last off season where the offensive line was obviously a disaster in the Super Bowl. They fixed their offensive line in three months. I've never seen a team do this. There's teams that have been working on it for five years, but they signed Joe Tooney, trade for Orlando Brown, draft Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, and boom, their offensive line becomes one of the better ones in the NFL. It's just about the way they realize they have problems and they quickly work to fix it. Even like the Tyreek Hill trade, which they wanted to pay him. They realized they got to a point where they couldn't do it. They move on, get five draft picks, which is a lot. And then you go out and sign a Juju and sign an MVS and you draft this guy more. And it's like, hey, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, go figure it out. You guys are getting paid for a reason. Make it work. It's the aggressiveness to figure this out. And probably they should probably just be higher on this list simply because of the Patrick Mahomes contract. The 10-year deal, which essentially is a 12-year deal because he had two more years left. Having that contract, I don't think fans understand why it's so great. I guess I'll pass it back to you, Brad. What makes that contract so amazing, the fact that it's so long? Yeah, so just the ability to have that much control. If you want to push his you know, cap hits down the line by restructuring his money, 
but also just the, the simple fact that you, you, like you said about Lamar Jackson, like they know exactly where they stand with him. They can then add around him. They can be aggressive last off season. I actually think there's a lot of credit for taking a step back while the rest of their division went crazy this off season, moving on from Hill, getting some younger players in the fold. That's how you sustain a dynasty for a longer period of time. But yeah, that deal is just, it gives you so much flexibility and understanding of where you're at. You can work with Mahomes, work around it. He'll probably look for an extension before those 10 years are up, but it is probably the, the one of the best value deals in the NFL, and it's going to get better and better every offseason as more and more guys get signed. It's already looking great, and it's only going to get better, like you said. Um, I don't – is it like how do you even go back to the table when you have like seven years left? Is that like a real thing? How does that even work? So it is tough, right? I mean, that, that's definitely going to be what the Chiefs say when, when that, that phone call eventually happens. It, it is tough. I think for him, it would say, if you look at the cash flows, I mean, he really, it was a very, very team-friendly deal. Also, just from a cash flow perspective, he did not get a lot of money in the early deal so that Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey and a lot of these other guys could get paid and they could add all this other talent we're talking about. I would say after the fifth new year, so like you said, seven years in, in reality, it kind of spikes and they could go back to the table for a new deal or he'll just be making a ton of money. So it kind of works out either way. Interesting. So yeah, what they've done in Kansas city has been fun to watch. I love their draft as well. This past year, they stockpiled on picks and they had a really strong draft um, in my eyes there. So um, we'll be interesting how they do without Tyree kill, but I've enjoyed watching bread beach work there in Kansas city. Let's keep this moving. Brad, who do you have next? So I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints and, and Mickey Loomis. And I know this is obviously a controversial one that they do business differently and, and they handle the cap different than, than anyone really. Um, I think actually kind of doesn't get lumped into this business side. You know, like you talk about Omar Khan, even though that yeah. really is where That's Mickey Loomis comes yeah. from, obviously can also evaluate talent. And, and the thing with them is it almost defies logic. It just seems like it's going to be the end of the road and they're not going to be able to figure it out. And they've had some challenges and have lost some talent. Um, you know, Trey Hendrickson and Marcus Williams and some of these guys leaving. But I think any player that they wanted to retain and wanted to find the money, they could. Um, I think they are good about letting certain players go when they don't feel like it, you know, they need to keep them around. Um, but yeah, they just they just continue to have strong draft classes. I mean, even last year, guys you don't hear much about, but to sign Pete Werner and Paulson Adebo at linebacker and corner, just guys that you can plug and play and start right away is is underappreciated in the NFL. Not neither guy's a pro bowler by any stretch of the imagination, but it's hard to find a rookie like Adebo didn't even play his last year of college football and was an adequate outside corner last year. So they just they just have an eye for talent, a knack for talent. And I also think one last component we haven't really touched on, but the culture down there is remarkable. I mean, players want to go there. Players want to stay. Bradley Roby took basically the biggest pay cut you can possibly take in the NFL just yeah. to stick around. Like, that matters too. And I think that all funnels down from the top guy like a Mickey Loomis all the way down. Yeah, and you know, everyone was talking about that trade they did with Philadelphia. And, you know, they obviously moved their one from next year into this year. The one thing I didn't, I, you know, someone brought this up to me. And I don't think anybody has mentioned it. Do you feel like they did that trade to move a one into this year, knowing they could get a one next year for Sean Payton? It's actually probably a decent question. Maybe, maybe that's part of the thinking. Yeah. I think that's kind of part of it because I, again, I, I know for a fact that networks weren't really high on Sean simply because they believe he's going to be back in coaching next year. The saints have his rights. I think he's going to be worth at least a first round pick. That could be part of the process as well there for them to move a one into this year, get two cheap contracts now and eventually to get their one next year when they have to trade Sean somewhere else. So that could definitely be part of the thinking, but everything you mentioned, I mean, the other, the other part about them that's interesting is that they have so many defensive players that have just stayed healthy. You know what I mean? Like the Mario Davis, Cameron Jordan, these guys are aging veterans. They're still producing and they aren't really getting, you know, 
injured ever. So it's definitely a big part of it. They keep on pushing money down. Kai Harley gets a lot of credit for that. He's their cap manager guy there. But um, they're another team that you feel like they'll be left for the dead. And somehow they still find a way to win games. Last year, they won nine games despite starting four different quarterbacks. So um, they always find a way there. And Mickey Loomis has been there for over 20 years. Another unknown part, he's, he's also like the, the Pelicans GM, I think. So I don't know how he's handling two things at once, but the guy is... Um, He's a bit unreal. Um, let's keep it moving here. Um, I think we're up to number 10 right now. And I'm going to go with um, Chris Ballard with the Colts. And um, this might be another one that people are going to say, why is he that high? The once trade was obviously terrible. I still don't fully understand why a conditional one was involved when there wasn't much competition going on over there. But then, I mean, that again goes back to Howie Roseman being a savvy negotiator. But, you know, the way he flipped Wentz after the fact to Washington, it got solid compensation. That's part of this. And it's not only that, but really, first of all, he has a really rock solid staff around him as well. He's someone who really takes the staff very seriously. Ed Dodds is one of his right hand men over there. But he also he hits on his draft picks. We all know that he values them um, very seriously. I know there's this argument about the fact that they're not premium positions, right? Um, Quentin Nelson is a guard. Um, Darius Leonard was an off ball linebacker. Donovan Patel is a running back. But you can make the argument that those three guys are the best at their position. And then I know some people have complained that he's not aggressive. First of all, I think he has shown aggressiveness. And I think that gets kind of lost in the shuffle. The, the Forrest Buckner trade was very aggressive, trading the number 13 overall pick and giving him a contract. And then the Yannick Ngakwe trade was, was, was one. I think the Carson Wentz trade was a bit aggressive last year. But the thing about Ballard, which I really respect, and I think a GM needs to have, and it's hard to have that, is his ability, ability to also be patient. And I think the best way to realize that was what happened this year of Matt Ryan, where they trade Carson Wentz. I think everyone in the world was like, what are they going to do? There's no real option. But they sat back and waited. They let the Sean Watson thing unfold. Atlanta got involved. That freed up Matt Ryan. And then getting Matt Ryan just for a third round pick. His ability to be patient, to sit back in free agency. He's like almost never involved in the first wave. Wait for the second and third wave. We saw that this year with Stephon Gilmore. The draft, he's perfectly fine with training back and getting more picks. And I feel like people forget the Andrew Luck thing has nothing to do with him. He came in. I think Andrew Luck's second year with Ballard was probably his most fun year, one comeback player of the year, made the playoffs, had a great year, and then he all of a sudden retires and Ballard is left on an island not knowing what to do. And I'll never forget this as well. When he, he had a press conference, I think it was last year, somebody asked him, why not just draft one high? And he was like, I could draft one high. All the fans will leave me alone. You guys in the media will leave me alone. But as soon as that first round pick starts not playing well, I'm out of here. So he understands it's not about drafting one high, it's about finding the right one. And it's taking his time. Fine. Philip Rivers was good. Carson Wentz was not good. We'll see what Matt Ryan is, but he understands the whole thing. And, you know, again, the, he also had the whole Josh McDaniels thing, which was a mess. And he somehow survived that by hiring Frank Reich, who has been great for them. So he's done a very decent job. I, I think he's one of the, the better talent evaluators. He took his time to find his GM job. He was in Kansas City for a long time, um, was in Chicago for a little bit, had opportunities elsewhere, waited for the right spot, went to Indy. Considering all the circumstances, I think he's done a pretty good job there in Indy. I think it's one more note that's important is, look, quarterback basically dictates this entire list to some extent, right? Yeah. And, and it, so it's easy to say, 
say, well, he's never found a quarterback. Well, a lot of GMs past and present, um, you know, have not found a quarterback. And so for them to still be around a 500 football team or the year with Phil Rivers, I think people forget they almost beat the Buffalo Bills in yeah. Buffalo in that playoff game. Yes, he has constructed a good roster. You mentioned the lack of important positions. I remember when Braden Smith, they got drafted and he was a guard at Auburn and Evans all they taken another guard. He's one of the best right tackles in the NFL right now. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that one 100 percent. I think he gets a little bit too much flack. And yeah, quarterback is a hard position to fix. Yeah, I think like you go on and on with Chris Bell because he had so much going on there since he got there. But again, finding the quarterback is hard and he understands that he's not going to reach on one. He's not going to do anything crazy in the draft unless he believes in that guy. And maybe that time will come. For now, they believe they have Matt Ryan for two years. We'll see how that goes. He has a pretty good roster around him compared to what he had in Atlanta the last couple of years. So we'll be fun to see how the Colts do this year. Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, and now the new quarterback and Matt Ryan. Let's keep this moving. Brad, who do you have up next? So this is where I think it gets a little bit tough and, yes. and there's some newer guys yes. and, 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 you know, you kind of ha- how you look at it, but I'll, I'll go with Andrew Barry in Cleveland has not been there for a very long time. Um, obviously came over from the Philadelphia Eagles, as you mentioned, and you know, I think with him is, again, he is trying to do things differently, trying to explore edges. They, they've totally overhauled this entire secondary and kind of built back to front on that defense. Already showed some results last year. Um, obviously, with Greg Newsom coming in as a good rookie, Denzel Ward just became one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the NFL. Um, you know, you just go down the list of what they've done, waiting out a guy like a JV on Clowney and being patient on that defensive line. Um, obviously, all the moves they've made along the offensive line, signing Jack Conklin, you know, all these moves they've made have fortified and bolstered their, their entire roster uh, obviously you know a bit of a controversial pick and obviously not a, people are fans of their massive trade for Deshaun Watson and giving him you know a contract we may never see again frankly um I understand all of that I, I just think again when you're trying to evaluate these guys you have to look at people that do things differently that are trying to explore edges find different edges um even something as simple as you know taking a guy that had some injury red flags in the draft last last year um and, and Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa the linebacker out of Notre Dame who was phenomenal right away as a rookie i just think they are willing to again to kind of to do things differently and and obviously they got to you know make the playoffs win a couple games but i think they their roster right now has an argument maybe the best roster one of them in football no absolutely and, and really Ever since he got there, along with Stefanski, I think they came in together, if I'm not mistaken, right? Were they together? Yeah, they were. Um, they came in together. I think George Payton was um, one of the finalists there, along with Andrew Barry. They ended up going with Barry, with Stefanski. But it's interesting because, like, they, they weren't that good. I mean, I think John Dorsey built up that roster with a lot of draft picks and a lot of spending. But Andrew Barry came in and kind of, you know, worked on the premium positions. You mentioned Conklin. I think Conklin and Hooper, like the first two deals that he made there. And he kind of gave Baker Mayfield everything that he could have there to be successful. Obviously it has not worked out there, but um, I'm, I'm, while we're on this Cleveland topic, I guess let me just go to the side for a second. What do you expect to happen with Baker right now? Because it's so odd. There's 18.8 million fully guaranteed. He could make things really awkward and just show up to the building because there's no reason not to. I mean, he's allowed to. What do you think happens with him? You know, I think they're going to be patient. I, I don't really understand why folks are saying they need to do something because, you know, I've talked about this a little bit, but essentially there are not offsets in Baker's deal. So he's going to get that money from Cleveland regardless. And so if I'm them, you said he could show up and make things awkward. He could also not show up and they could fine him and recoup money that way. I'm not saying they should do that, but they have options at their disposal. There maybe will be a suspension coming down for Watson. And look, if Baker says, okay, well, I'm not going to play, then again, okay, well, then we'll recoup, you know, a million dollars per week that you're not willing to play for the team. So, 
I think they're going to be patient. It's obviously not an ideal scenario. He maybe overplayed his hand a bit in not only making that trade, but signing Jacoby Brissett and, and doing all these things. But yeah, I mean, they could clear another, they could have over $50 million in cap space if they, if they pull that off. So, um, you know, again, I get it. I, I understand that nothing, not everything has been perfect, but I think they're going to let that one play itself out. And maybe someone gets hurt in training camp or something like that. And, and then, they, you know, the opportunity will strike. Yeah, but there's no reason not to be patient. I totally agree with you. I mean, there's there's no I don't get the people about cutting him like why? There's no reason to. You can just wait for now and see what happens there. Again, we're in this portion of the offseason where I don't expect anything to happen. We'll see what happens once training camp rolls around. Are they allowed to, by the way, just you know, excuse him from training camp? Is that allowed under the new CBA? So- so nowadays, no, you can't. Uh, what you used to do is you would forgive the fines. The new CBA made it so you cannot do that. So if you find a player for not reporting, you, you cannot forgive that fine later on. And I can see what you're saying when you say you don't issue the fine, but that's kind of a slippery slope in terms of precedent with other players. So now they would have to just kind of follow the rule book on that one. Interesting. So when tra- training camp rolls around, that's when we should expect things to um, move a little bit with Baker Mayfield. All right, let's keep it moving here. I mentioned this guy's name before. Some people might think it's a bit too early to put him here but George Payton is my next pick here and I've heard the name George Payton for so many years and everyone was telling me this guy when he becomes a GM he's going to be a grand slam um, let me give some background on George first Payton was with the Dolphins from 01 to 06 then Minnesota from 07 to 2020 so during all those years he had so many requests for interviews with a GM I went back to look through this because I was just shocked how many he had I'm going to go through it, okay? It might take some time. <laughs> we have the Rams, the Browns twice, the Titans, the Panthers, the Dolphins, the 49ers, the Colts, the Chiefs, the Packers, the Jets twice, the Lions, and I'm probably missing some. That's 13, 14 teams there. Um, all those teams have requested to interview him, and he either declined to interview or interviewed and then took his name out of the running for a variety of reasons. But he was always someone the teams wanted to talk to over all those years, he basically learned everything, built the relationships, cross-trained with the cap and the scouting side. And then he finally took the Denver job last year, getting a six-year deal and basically getting full control of everything in the personnel department, which is what he wanted. And in a year and a half, I'm he to be players once again. And we all know about the Russell Wilson trade. But what about last year drafting Patrick Sertain over a quarterback? They traded up to secure Javante Williams. I know people don't like trading up for a running back that high, but Javante looks like he's going to be a future star in this league. How about trading Von Miller for a two and a th- for a two and a three, an expiring contract? That obviously helped out a lot this offseason. The one that people forget is a big one. He extended Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, two guys who are going to be free agents in a couple of months, before the wide receiver market went absolutely insane. So he locked both those guys in before everything went wild with this receiver market that we all just saw this offseason. That, again, is GM forecasting what's about to happen. It's easy to see why George was so highly talked about for all those years. And it really looks like Denver is in good hands with him. I mean, I could definitely understand why everyone wanted him. Rick Spielman was on this show a few months ago and just kept on singing the praises for George Payne. And he's been amazing so far in Denver. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you where there's guys that probably are just so young that are, you know, new to the position that I probably didn't have him on there, but I, I think he's already on a, a phenomenal trajectory. Um, and yeah, like you said, again, those early deals have already looked really, really strong. Um, this is a very, very talented roster. Obviously he inherited some of it, but that last linchpin getting Russell Wilson, they are a contender in his first year with a, with his choice of head coach and all these things. And, and they're ready to roll. This guy was a finalist for the Rams job in 2012 with less need. He was the front runner 
and then he backed out. That's how long teams have been wanting to get this guy. Decided to stay in Minnesota with Rick Spielman. And then finally takes a job in 2020, 2021, whatever it was. And um, obviously what he's done in a year and a half has been amazing. All right, let's keep this rolling. Brad, who do you have next? Yeah, so this next group for me, and I, and I mentioned it, is, is kind of guys that are frankly working with maybe less resources than other clubs, whether that yeah. be how big their talent evaluation department is, there's, you know, analytics and all that. But anyway, I'm going to go with Tom Telesco with the Los Angeles Chargers, a guy that I frankly have been kind of hard on um, over, over the over the span of his career. I think there have been some questionable moves at times and, and some draft picks that have not panned out at all. But you start to look at some of the talent they've been able to add to this roster and some of the hits they do have that are really, really big hits. Obviously, Justin Herbert now at the top of that list. But I think you finally get a, a coach that he sees eye to eye with and Brandon Staley. I think both sides of the ball for that team will now be very talented and also in my opinion, depth is very, very important for them. That was always an issue. They'd have a couple guys go down with injuries and it would kind of kill their whole season. So I think they've addressed that. I think they have weapons all over the field on both sides of the ball. And again, just, you know, some of these big hits like a Derwin James on the defense and, and obviously now, you know, Justin Herbert, of course, but bringing in JC Jackson and, and, and that trade for Khalil Mack, frankly, a second round pick and a six from Mack is a pretty good value um, and, and reunite him with his former coach and Brandon Staley. So a guy that, you know, again, not perfect, but you start to look at some of his best draft picks and, and they can stack up with, with a lot of people. Yeah, and Telesco is another one of those guys who's had the rare opportunity of hiring three head coaches. Looks like he's having um, success there with Brandon Staley. And he really changed his entire philosophy this offseason. This guy came from the Bill Pullian tree, which is all about draft develop and pay your own guys. He went out of that whole philosophy this offseason, of course. And you mentioned JC and Khalil Mack and Sebastian Joseph Day. And then they signed recently Kyle Van Oy and Bryce Callen. They're just going crazy and adding players onto this defense and depth pieces onto this defense. Obviously, when you have a rookie uh, quarterback on his rookie contract, like a Justin Herbert, there's a reason why he should be going all in. This is a team that it feels like everyone is super high on them in that stacked AFC West. We'll see how they do. But um, what Telesco has done, especially this past offseason, um, on paper, at least, it looks really good there for the Chargers as they go into this season in year number three for Justin Herbert. All right. My next pick is going to be someone who we mentioned earlier. It's Duke Tobin. Tobin is probably not, he's probably the least known GM in the league because he doesn't really have the GM title, but he basically runs the entire personnel department and is the GM there in Cincinnati. And he's been there for years, been there for a long time. His dad, I think people probably know better than him, is Bill Tobin, who's famously known for the guy who said, who in the hell is Mel Kuyper? That's his dad. But um, Duke, he deserves credit for not just building this roster, but he also was the main guy who built that team from 2011 to 2015, which made the playoffs every year under Marvin Lewis. Then he tore everything down and he built it back up now with Joe Burrow. And what makes it fascinating is he easily has the smallest staff in the NFL. His staff is six people, Brad. That's all he has there. And they do the college department and the pro department both like they do both of it. It's crazy. These teams have 20, 30, 40 people. He has six people total working with him and they all work very closely. They work with the coaches year round to put a roster together and it's different than any structure in the league. So again, drafting Burrow was the easy part, but you know, opting to draft Jamar Chase last year over an offensive tackle didn't go over, didn't go over well for most people. Obviously worked out really well there in year one. How about letting Carl Lawson go last year and signing Trey Hendrickson or letting William Jackson go and signing Chidobia Wuzier and Mike Hilton instead? Then of course, this offseason that we all talked about their offensive line, which needed a lot of help, bringing Lael Collins, bringing Alice Kappa, bringing Ted Karras. And now with Burrow there, it's crazy to think about, but players want to come to Cincinnati. 
even though they're a small market team, even though they're a small budget team, even though they are one of the last few teams who only guaranteed money in the first year, people want to play with Joe Burrow and they're set for years to come. And a lot of, you know, credit deserves to go to um, Duke, Duke Tobin, who many fans don't even know he exists. So um, a lot of credit to him. No, hundred percent. If you want to do like a pound for pound type thing, or like, you know, how much they have to, you know, he might be way higher on that list. Cause he's just doing so much. And like you said, that's, that's crazy. That it's a six man department. Cause yeah, there are probably, like you said, 20, 30 man, no man and woman departments across the NFL. So yeah, he, he is deserving. And obviously he's getting his, his flowers now making the Super Bowl. but that team should be good for years to come. Absolutely. What he's done is there has been amazing. Again, just go to the Bengals front office on their website. It's just like, six names and the page just ends it's hilarious they don't even have names it's the name and then scout they don't even, they don't put mid, mid, midwest scout whatever it's just scout so um they do a lot there for six people and what they've built there has obviously been fun to watch um we have two more names three more names to go here we have um three more to go here brad who do you have next yeah, so this is one that you probably should be higher now that we're going through it, but that, that's what happens on these these live exercises. That's John Robinson with the Tennessee Titans. Um, you know, obviously, one seed last year, lose to those Cincinnati Bengals in the playoffs, but have consistently the last couple of years in a, yes, weak AFC South. have been a very good team. I mean, the way they went out and got Ryan Tannehill, still had Marcus Mariota on the roster, bring him in in a trade where they save a bunch of money, but Miami kind of converting some of his salary and, and keeping that with Miami bring him over for a fourth round pick. I want to say was the highest pick they gave up. And obviously yeah. that has worked out phenomenally again, not when he threw three interceptions in the playoff game, but, but you know, they had, they had set an NFL record for the amount of injuries they had last year. And still during that stretch beat, I want to say the bills chiefs Ravens and one other team over like a five week stretch. Yeah. They do things differently. They obviously, you know, run the football and, and rely on Derrick Henry. Um, but even when he was out, they kind of kept the ship afloat. And then the last piece you mentioned too, I mean, hiring coaches is probably another aspect of this that we should yes. give people more credit for. And I think Mike Vrabel was a phenomenal hire has obviously had both sides of the ball. there, getting better. Again, a draft and develop team that doesn't spend a ton in free agency, a couple splash moves here and there, like for Bud Dupree, which probably was not the best signing, but, um, yeah, the man has an eye for talent. Another kind of risky pick in Jeffrey Simmons. Tore his ACL about a month before the draft that year. Still go ahead and take him. He's one of the best young interior defenders in all of football. Had three sacks in that playoff game and was a dominant force the entire year for them. I think he's just, yeah, I mean, again, not a ton of resources in Tennessee. Has a pretty strong staff with some guys around him that I think will be GM soon, like Ryan Cowden, yes. uh, Monty Austin Fort, to name a few. But nevertheless, a, a very well-run organization, you know, because of John Robbins. Yep, under John, the Titans have had six straight winning seasons. You mentioned the hire of Mike Vrabel. They had a very late start in that process as well because they won a playoff game, then fired Mike Mularkey. Then they started the process, found Vrabel, and he's obviously been amazing. You mentioned the Ryan Tannehill trade. That was um, an amazing find. There's a lot of credit for that. And then you mentioned th there have been some really ugly misses there. I mean, probably the most notable one was the Isaiah Wilson pick who I think played like three snaps as a first-round pick and is out of the league now. The Bud Dupree, Vic Beasley contracts were obviously not great. The Julio trade didn't work out. Um, moving out from A.J. Brown, I want to see how that all unfolds there for them as they now have Traylon Burks, who they hope could replace him. But um, overall, I mean, they keep on winning. They were the one, number one seed last year. And you mentioned they had the most players on their roster ever in the NFL history, considering all the injuries they had last year. I said we have um, three more left. We actually have one more left. This is the last one we have. And it, this one was a tough one because there, there are some really good ones left. But I'm going to go with a name who people probably think it's a bit too early to go with him. But, you know, I've heard I've ever since he got hired, I've been really 
I've just, I see the vision. I know what he's trying to do and I, I know where they're going and it's Brad Holmes in Detroit. Let's give some background first of all with him as well, because I think he's not a name that people recognize right away, but Holmes has been with the Rams since he was with the Rams for 18 years. He was basically a scout, worked his way up, became the college director, basically was, he directed the entire college department for less need, was very trusted there. And we mentioned the whole F them picks. The guy who deserves a lot of credit there for finding those mid-round gems is Brad Holmes. So he comes into Detroit, gets hired with Dan Campbell. And it's just, it's interesting because the message from ownership was, we will be patient with you, do this your way, build from the ground up and create a winner, not just for the short term, but for long-term success. And it's easy to see them slowly working towards that. And like, again, Holmes is a draft guy, <clears throat> excuse me. Last year, they got Panay Sewell and Amon Rasim Brown a few, and a few other young guys. They set a culture by adding guys like a Michael Brockers and the Jamal Williams. They didn't overspend in free agents like the last regime. They were in a lot of games last year and they didn't win that much, but <clears throat> The players, excuse me, they want to play for Dan Campbell. We were there for the Senior Bowl. I think it was in late January, February. We saw that coaching staff and how all the players there just attracted this coaching staff. There's a bunch of former players there. And again, this offseason, it wasn't crazy spending. It's one-year deals, DJ Shark, um, Mike Hughes, um, Deshaun Elliott, you know, guys who could just come in and help. We're not going to spend like crazy. The draft comes around, Aiden Hutchinson falls to them. They get Jamison Williams, Jamison Williams in a trade that I feel like they didn't really overspend to move up there. I'm not expecting them to go off this year. I don't know if Goff is the answer. He likely isn't. But they're in a position where they have all these building blocks on the roster. And eventually they'll drop in a quarterback who they love. And they'll add even more pieces. And they'll actually spend some real money. And this will be a team that will be in position for long-term success. Something which Detroit has not had in a very long time. I love what Brad is doing there. And I really believe Detroit will have fun football very soon there. I mean, I really believe that. I see what he's trying to do there. You could, if you just look into what he's done so far, it's very easy to see what it is. And I think they'll be very good very soon. I'm with you 110%. I, I really do. I think, you know, going back to his Rams days, he also, it kind of gets associated with the Rams now, but he was actually the person in the interview, I believe, with Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic, who talked about how he doesn't really care about the combine and ignores like testing and uses a lot of player tracking data and just, and, and player speeds and finding guys that can play football and how they look on the field and kind of blocking out some of that noise that can, that can kind of impact evaluations and, and can throw teams off. So he looks at things every which way. And I'm with you. The, the draft class last year, you mentioned a couple guys, Levi Muzuriki, I think he's going to be a very good interior defender. Ali McNeil, another, I think, you know, pretty good interior defender. You now to add in Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Pascal on the edge. It's not going to be contenders next year. We're not saying that, but I think the foundation is there. They have one of the best offensive lines in football. Um, again, they've got, you know, Taylor Decker deals a strong deal at left tackle. They, they just, I'm with you. They had, they are building a foundation and I, and I am, I am a believer as well. Yep. Um, again, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I see what they're trying to do. It sounds like you are a believer as well in what they're trying to do there in Detroit. And again, for the first time in a long time, Detroit football might be fun for the, you know, those fans who are just, you know, dying from terrible football. All right. The guys who did not make the list. Th those are our 16 top 16 there. The guys who did not make the list. We have um, Steve Kime, John Lynch, Nick Casario, the Cowboys group. Joe Douglas, John Schneider, Chris Greer, Trent Balky, Scott Fitterer, Terry Fontenot, and then Martin Mayhew, and then the five new ones. From that list, are there anybody who you believe you like what they're trying to do? You believe they'll be in the upper in the, in the upper echelon come next year? Yeah, you know it's tough. I, I think also just not really a question, but I, think, I, just want, I want to make this clear: we're not calling these guys bad GMs. We believe there, there are a lot of great GMs in the in the NFL. A lot of these guys are really good, but they're going to be 
top 16. So who do you think are the guys who are going to be um, moving up the rings come next year? Let's put it that way. Yeah. So I am still a big Joe Douglas believer. Um, I think he is a good GM right now. He's kind of more famous for the players he got rid of, you know, and Jamal yes. Adams and the players he's actually added, but I think had a phenomenal off season in adding like in Tomlinson in free agency, adding a couple tight ends in, in free agency. And then of course, you know, having a draft that a lot of people were big fans of with those three first round picks when he moved back up in the first for Jermaine Johnson. I just, I, they're close. And obviously a lot of it comes down to Zach Wilson, but inherited a terrible situation. And I think was smart to hit the reset button, start over, get a lot of extra draft capital. Obviously these guys have to hit now, but I, I am a believer that they are trending in the right direction. Yep, again, Joe walked into a situation where they had the CJ Mosley contract, the Le'Veon Bell contract, the Tremaine Johnson contract. They had so many garbage contracts on that team. And he, the fact he was able to flip a Darnold for a 2-4 and a 6, the Jamal Adams for two first-round picks, like he's made good moves. His first draft has not really panned out that well, the 2020 draft class. 2021 looks better, obviously, depending on Zach Wilson. And this past year, everyone loves their draft. We'll see how they do on the field. But I agree with you. I'm a believer in Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. Very curious to see how they do this year. The one thing for me that I'm keeping an eye on, it's going to be a weird one, but I really believe Nick Casero is going to figure it out in Houston. First of all, Davis Mills gets no respect. I actually think he could be a decent quarterback in the NFL. He was probably the second best rookie quarterback last year behind Mac Jones. The fact is that nobody really watched Texans. No one really cared about them, but um, he really looked good. And he was like the top high school recruit coming out of high school. And then he went to Stanford, had a bunch of knee injuries. He was the first pick for Nick Casario. They move on from Deshaun Watson, have a lot of draft picks now, thanks to that. They keep on adding all these veterans on one-year deals, but it's just that they have to do that and just to fill out this roster. But I'm perfectly fine with it. Again, it's not going to happen this year. It probably won't happen next year. I just think that they're, after all these dumpster years where they had the Bill O'Brien and the, the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade and J.J. Watt wanting out and Jadavion Clown and all that stuff, I feel like he's bringing normalcy back to Houston. And when they brought him in, he also got a six-year deal, which again is very rare. And they paid him as a top five GM. So they believe in what he's going to do. They're giving him time. I believe, I don't know if it's going to happen next year where he moves up this list, but I believe um, um, Nick Casero is someone who we should watch what he's doing there in Houston. Eventually he'll turn it around there and bring some normalcy to the Texans. All right, let's wrap this up with one more thing. Is there an executive around the NFL right now? Cause there's going to be turnover in the NFL come next year who is not a GM right now, but you believe is a future GM. Yeah, you kind of touched on them, and they didn't make our list because it's kind of a brain trust. But I think Will McClay in Dallas might be the best-kept secret in the NFL. They essentially just pay him as a GM and, and keep him around, and, and kind of like with Dan Quinn, their defensive coordinator. So he may never leave. They may never let, let him leave the building. But you look at their track record of draft picks over the last decade or so, it's remarkable. I mean, it, it compared to any team in the NFL, if you'd like, and they're stacking up. So I think he just has a phenomenal eye for talent. But, yeah, I think Jerry Jones knows that as well as anyone, um, and he might not be able to get out of there. Yeah, I think they just gave him an extension as well to make him one of the higher paid ones because I think teams, they did, wanted, yeah. teams wanted an interview this past cycle. It was like, no, you're not leaving here. So, um, yeah, he is a well-kept secret. I think for the first time, they actually put him there. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe it's not the first time, but he was there for the press conferences after the draft with Jerry, Steven, and Mike McCarthy. And I feel like people who saw the video are like, who is that guy? So that guy plays a pretty big role there in Dallas. Um, I think his first draft in Dallas was 2014. That was the Johnny Manziel year. And I think everyone thought that they were going to take him at 16. And Will McClay was made in charge of the draft room. And it was like, no, we're taking Zach Martin. They took Zach Martin. Obviously, we all know how that all worked. But yeah, he plays a major role in Dallas. If a team tries to prime away, 
Jerry will try to make it not happen, but he's definitely one to keep an eye on. The one that I have here as we wrap this up, and my voice is getting very dry, which is a big problem. But the one that I have, I think we're going to have our first woman GM eventually. And I think Catherine Raish is the one that everyone brings up. And she has, we talked about cross training. She has the scouting side and the business side. She interviewed for the Vikings GM job this offseason. She blew them away. Uh, she didn't get the job. Quasi did. But she blew them away. The Eagles are losing her to the Browns. She's going to be the assistant GM to Andrew Barry. She worked with him in Philadelphia. She's, I believe, only 33. And she had Barry's old role in Philadelphia these past couple of years. But Harry Roseman talks about him, talks about her, excuse me, like, excessively how great she is Andrew Barry wanted her when he went to Cleveland and I think Howie either blocked it or she stayed there but now she's going there but she has a law degree she ran contracts in the CFL for the Toronto team then she became the assistant GM there and I think she's also like she speaks three or four different languages so she she's very deep again she's, she's only 33 34 years old and she's someone who I believe is going to be the first woman GM in the NFL, I think she is going to be the one who gets it done. Um, we'll see when that happens, but she got through the door this year by interviewing in Minnesota. Everyone talks really highly about her, and I think eventually the time will come and she'll be the first one. I mean, she's now been the highest ranking executive in two different football leagues in both the yeah. CFL and the NFL, right? So, yeah, I'm yeah. with you on that one 100%. Yep, absolutely. So we're going to see what happens here. The L is our top 16. Let me just quickly run through it one more time here. Um, if I wrote it down correctly, we have Belichick, Bean, DaCosta, Roseman, Sneed, Jason Light, Brian Gudenkins, Brett Veach, Mickey Loomis, Chris Ballard, Andrew Barry, George Payton, Tom Telesco, Duke Tobin, John Robinson, and Brad Holmes. That is our top 16 here, top 16 GMs in the nfl this will be fun to look back at when we get here next year brad i want to thank you for coming on everyone can follow you on twitter it is at pff underscore brad um, thanks for coming on and we'll definitely do this again very soon thanks for having me